Hello, and welcome back to The PA Way. I'm your host, Allison Callahan, and today we are going to discuss hypertension. There are many different ways to approach this topic. We're going to stick to an overview of how hypertension is diagnosed and what are the initial treatment recommendations. Next week, we'll discuss more of the pharmacotherapy and be more specific about the primary classes of antihypertensive medications. If you work in any field of medicine, you need to know about primary hypertension. So let's go ahead and get started. Primary hypertension, formerly known as essential hypertension, is defined by the American College of Cardiology and by the American Heart Association of a systolic blood pressure over 130 and a diastolic blood pressure over 80. The American College of Cardiology guidelines further break this down into stage 1 and stage 2. Stage 1 is a systolic blood pressure between 130 and 139 and a diastolic blood pressure between 80 and 89. Stage two is a systolic blood pressure of greater than 140 and a diastolic blood pressure of greater than 90. Making an accurate diagnosis of hypertension can be challenging, and most patients are asymptomatic. We have all heard of white coat syndrome, when a patient has an elevated blood pressure in the clinic but does not have an elevated blood pressure at home. There is also a condition called masked hypertension, where the home readings are indicative of hypertension, but the office readings are not. Ambulatory home blood pressure monitoring is the most accurate way to diagnose hypertension and is the best predictor of end-organ damage and cardiovascular events. It is the gold standard for diagnosing hypertension. Ambulatory blood pressures are done using a device worn by the patient over a period of 24 to 48 hours, and the blood pressure is taken every 15 to 20 minutes while awake and every 30 to 60 minutes while sleeping. The blood pressures are recorded and the average is taken. Unfortunately, this technology is expensive and not widely available. For the vast majority of patients, the diagnosis is made by using home readings and office readings combined. In order for this to be accurate, the home blood pressure machine must be checked by the office to ensure accuracy and that the patient is using the right cuff size. Remind patients that they should be seated, rested for at least five minutes, and to keep their legs uncrossed while obtaining blood pressures at home. They should take at least a dozen readings over one week's time and some obtained in the morning and some at night. Then if the mean blood pressure is greater than or equal to 130 over 80, the diagnosis of hypertension can then be made. An initial screening blood pressure of greater than 160 over 100 with signs of end-organ damage can also be diagnosed as hypertension. Now that you've made the accurate diagnosis of primary hypertension, let's move on to the detailed history and physical exam. Many patients may be asymptomatic, This is why high blood pressure can be known as the silent killer. Make sure to inquire about headaches, dizziness, changes in vision, chest pain, or shortness of breath. Start with your fundoscopic exam. Look for cotton wool spots and AV nicking. Auscultate the carotids and palpate the thyroid gland. On cardiac exam, is the PMI displaced? Or do you hear an S4 heart sound? which may be indicative of a non-compliant, stiffened left ventricle. Abdominal exam may reveal renal artery or abdominal aortic bruise. 
Check the lower extremities for edema and palpate pedal pulses. Neuro exam may be normal, but look for focal areas of weakness secondary to a previous neurovascular event. Next, closely review the patient's over-the-counter and prescription medications. They may be contributing to the patient's elevated blood pressure. Common over-the-counter medications like NSAIDs and prescription medications like oral contraceptives, stimulants, and antidepressants may also be playing a role. Testing should include a comprehensive metabolic panel, fasting glucose, urinalysis, CBC, TSH, lipid profile, and an EKG. Evaluation for secondary causes of hypertension should be reserved for extremes in age presenting with new elevations in their blood pressure, those with an abrupt onset of elevated blood pressure who were previously documented as normal. Those who have drug-resistant hypertension are also concerning for secondary hypertension. Abnormal physical exam findings previously listed, like renal breweries, should prompt investigation for renovascular disease. Non-pharmacotherapy is often the most challenging for patients, but should be addressed at every visit. Patients should follow a low-sodium diet, reduce alcohol consumption, and try to lose weight. Exercise has also been proven to be beneficial in reducing both the systolic and the diastolic blood pressure. Exercise should be recommended to be at least three or four times a week for 40 minutes over a three-month time period to see any significant change or improvement in the blood pressure. Treatment of hypertension should be individualized and have as much patient involvement as possible. The 2017 American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines recommend picking from one of four classes of medications, including the thiazide diuretics, long-acting calcium channel blockers, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, and angiotensin-2 receptor blockers. In African-American patients, a thiazide-like diuretic or long-acting dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker should be used as initial monotherapy. In patients with diabetic nephropathy or non-diabetic chronic kidney disease with proteinuria, treatment should be initiated with an ACE or an ARB. Beta blockers are not recommended as initial monotherapy unless the patient has a known history of ischemic heart disease or congestive heart failure. Combination therapy is more effective than doubling the medication used as monotherapy, and patients will need to be educated on why it is so important to take more than one medication to control their blood pressure. Hopefully, patient education will help ensure compliance. A combination of an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker with a long-acting dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker is an option for combination therapy. Or you can try an ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker in addition to a thiazide diuretic. And remember, as a general rule, a patient should not be taking an ACE inhibitor and an angiotensin receptor blocker as combination therapy. There are several different published guidelines for the treatment of hypertension, including those from JNC8 and those from the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology. Regardless of which treatment guidelines you choose for your specific patient population, the ultimate goal of treatment is to reduce the likelihood of cardiovascular events. Links to both of these treatment guidelines can be found on our corresponding blog post for this podcast. 
patients with multiple risk factors for cardiovascular events should be treated more aggressively. And those patients with low absolute cardiac risk can be treated with less aggressive goals. No matter which treatment guidelines you choose, treatment should always be individualized, taking into account the cost, side effects, patient and family goals of therapy, and caution should be used when initiating aggressive pharmacotherapy in patients with labile blood pressure, orthostatic hypotension, and those of advanced age. Patients that are non-ambulatory or living in a skilled nursing facility should also have appropriate treatment goals. Before we apply our knowledge of hypertension, let's do a rapid review. Hypertension can be defined as a blood pressure of greater than 130 over 80. Ambulatory home blood pressure monitoring is the gold standard for diagnosing hypertension, even though it can be costly and is not widely available. Non-pharmacologic treatment recommendations need to be addressed at every office visit. The drug classes recommended for initial monotherapy in non-African American patients include ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers, long-acting calcium channel blockers, or thiazide diuretics. For the African American population, initial monotherapy is more effective when you choose either a long-acting calcium channel blocker or a thiazide diuretic. Those with diabetic nephropathy or chronic kidney disease with proteinuria should be started on an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker. Treatment goals need to be individualized and take into account the patient's overall risk for cardiovascular events. Now let's go ahead and apply that knowledge to a Roche review question. You are seeing an African-American 42-year-old male for an initial primary care visit. His medical history is significant for diabetes, seasonal allergies, obesity, and a prior rotator cuff repair. His medications include insulin and desloratadine. Proper blood pressure readings are taken. The initial reading is 154 over 98, and the second is 148 over 94. Which of the following medications is most appropriate when initiating antihypertensive medication in this patient? A. Candesartan. B. Captopril. C. Carvedilol. D. Chlorthalidone. The correct answer is D. Chlorthalidone. JNC8 has published recommendations for hypertensive management back in early 2014. The goal for all patients less than 60 years of age is less than 140 over 90. JNC8's initial antihypertensive choice for African Americans is a thiazide type diuretic or a calcium channel blocker. In comparison, the initial antihypertensive choice in non African American population can be a thiazide diuretic, a calcium channel blocker, an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker. In both subpopulations, these recommendations hold true even if a patient also has diabetes. Now that was the PA way of providing an overview of hypertension and taking a topic from presentation to application. Please check out the corresponding blog post for links to the JNCA treatment guidelines and to the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines. I'm interested in your feedback. 
you can contact me by emailing me at allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at roshreview.com. Or follow me on Twitter at the PA Way 2. That's the PA Way followed by the number 2. I look forward to hearing from you. And tune in next week for a pharmacology review of the most commonly used antihypertensive medications. Thanks again for listening.